the Modern Convo virtual dinner, I wrapped it up with an opportunity for the excellent panelists to uh, each ask me a question. I hope you enjoy the questions. But thanks, sponsors, Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication, ComC.com, Burbank Sports Cards, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Heritage Auctions, Hugs and Scott Auctions, Upper Deck, Tops, and Panini. So here is the discussion. I'd love to hear the conversations on the retail aspect trying to get cards outside of local card shops. The way we really want to do it is the card shop, I know, but the retail versions where they're not even getting to the shelf, but then also like what happened with Panini yesterday, I think, they sold something online two days ago and it sold out in record-breaking time and it was bought up by all the bots. Most of the product was bought up by bots for some outrageous prices. I know that the hobby going in the direction, it is a great thing. This is a byproduct of that, but do we think that this is a good thing? Demand is good. Outrageous demand. There's a problem with retail and uh, they need to fix it. They're probably going to raise prices five or 10 bucks. But every solution I've heard pretty much is beatable. You only buy two. You only buy two this time. And some of them aren't even making the shell. Walmart and Target, they're doing no work to make profit now. Why would you expect them to add friction to their process to, to do more work to make even less money if people don't do it? So I think it's a problem that'll get fixed. The companies are primarily concerned because the secondary market is where the big bucks are going, not to the primary market. So they're going to raise their prices. That would be a reasonable thing to do. We'll see. What I'm hoping they don't do is raise the prices so much that it disturbs that demand supply equilibrium. It's one thing to buy them for 20 bucks and sell them for 100. It's another thing to buy them for 100 and then try to sell them for 200. So at some point, people are going to say, whoa, I'm not going to do that. But that would be bad. Can I, real quick, I, I work in the sneaker world. I do partnerships for Sneaker News. We have almost 10 million followers on Instagram. Cards are starting to be more like sneakers. A lot of bots have, have eaten up a lot of those sneakers. And Jordan Brand used to sell the Jordan 11 in the year 2000 for 125 bucks. Then they raised it to 180. It's now 225 or 220. So uh, they've continued to raise it. If they raised those to 300, they'd probably still get it, but they would get less people. A lot of those sneakers are actually reselling on the aftermarket for over $700. I think the market will correct a little bit with cards. I also think if you don't want to pay the price, then don't pay it. I think if they raise it too much to Jim's point, people will bow out and just stop buying it altogether, which is what we don't want. So uh, at the end of the day, if people talk about, oh, kids can't get it and this and that, well, I'm sorry, kiddo, but you got to work a little bit harder. I couldn't afford packs at any price when I was 10, 12 years old. Now I didn't get my first really good elite card till I was 28 years old. So I think there, the market will correct because inevitably we'll get smarter and things like that, but Walmart will limit it and Panini will raise prices and there will be a threshold. I just hope we don't kill it to the point where guys that love it like us aren't even interested in retail anymore because it's so- Retail retail's part of the mix. We need that. Look, they have so many different lines. If you take Panini, they have Hoops, Donruss, Prism, Mosaic, they, they keep all these premium stock, all, yada, yada. They should take certain ones and just print them to the hills and let those prices be the, the $20 a box and let those go out to the kids and wherever. So take Hoops and print them and tell people whatever. They are. They're printing so much that they can't even get time at the printer. That's right. how much they're printing. No, no, but you understand what I mean, Jordan. They can create exclusivity amongst the different. Sure. And they have. It's just so insatiable right now. It's unbelievable. Okay, Jordan, question. Yeah, you have been not only on the Mount Rushmore of the hobby, but I actually think at the top of the mountain, as far as just what you've accomplished, but also how much you love it. You have a very intelligent approach. I already know how you operate. You always give credit to your team. High character guy. I respect it all. You live in gratitude and, and love the hobby more than almost anybody I've ever met. With that said, now and into the future, when you're long gone, what do you wish for the hobby? I wish to not be long gone. <laughs> Good answer. I'd like to leave as a parent, you know, as a grandparent. You, you want to leave the world in a better place 
for those who come behind you. I stood on the shoulders of some great guys that helped me along. I had a great team, as you said, and it's iterative. It's, it's Rome's not built in a day and there's some challenges right now. I'm trying to make myself available to the BGS guys and visiting with them and they have challenges, but I'm open to helping anybody. I'm a pro bono consultant. That's been a lot of fun. It's way more fun solving other people's problems than solving your own problems. So what are just one or two things that I know keeping high character, not being greedy, things like that, but what are a couple of pieces of advice you have for people either just getting into it now or guys like us who plan to be around and do this the rest of our lives? That's a, a, a tough question in the sense that to give a, a full answer, get a whole episode on that, Jordan. But basically, again, it's I think if you're enjoying the hobby and there's an emotional aspect, but there's also an analytical aspect. You need to know what you're collecting and not follow the herd from the rear. Several of you guys have great podcasts that are informative and entertaining. As long as we're kicking that out, then people, they're not going to throw up their hands when something goes down 20% and say, I'm out of here. They're going to say, what does Mike Summer say about that? What does Jeremy Lee say about that? What does Jordan say about that? I hope they're not going to bail. And I'm a lifer. And I'm communicating that this is a hobby that's so great, it's worth being your lifetime hobby. Again, no cards in my casket, but I probably will die with uh, still a few cards left. Okay, Jeremy, question. Sure. We've seen the hobby's attention go from basketball last early last summer over to soccer, to Pokemon, to wrestling, to Marvel. Hockey has been doing well. What do you guys think might be the next genre within the cardboard hobby to capture the hobby's attention? I don't know if it's going to be cardboard. I think these things on the blockchain and these new technologies are clearly capturing the hobby's attention. And I think that they're going to try to solve for some type of interactivity that goes with it. If you look at what they do with the soccer, they have the digital things, but they engage in some type of game. Walking through the card shows or listening to this or listening to your podcast when I drive my kids to the soccer games and the other podcasts that we listen to, and you hear how the kids react and where their minds are going with it, it's going to be cardboard plus some interactive component to it. You can see that there's a bunch of companies trying to figure that out. And I'm always wary of the first one. Remember, Friendster and MySpace came long before Facebook. So I, I, I tell people to remember that when they get excited about the first one. But MySpace and Friendster, like they got the, the idea. And so if you look at whether it was Panini's blockchain or what's going on with Topshot or what's going on with these other things is that they're sniffing around the way in which people want to engage. It's going to be something where there's some interactivity beyond just the cardboard. I, I don't know exactly what that looks like, but it feels like that's where a lot of this world's going. And Jeremy, to that point, there will be some NFT, Bitcoin, blockchain type of things that are going to happen. And actually a friend of mine has talked to me about creating a game of sorts to Jason's point that is sport related, kind of a mix of fantasy and gambling and cards, but you have to get the cards. I mean, look at what Pokemon and Magic the Gathering are, they are very much games, right? And a lot of those cards have now become collectible and investors are, are grabbing those, but ultimately it started as a game. And so I personally think that the gamification of sports cards is coming. And when that happens, whoever does it possibly even does that partnership with the NFL, like you've seen with NBA Top Shot is actually going to be not only filthy rich, but have a lot of kids that are having a lot of fun with their game. It's going to create a lot of energy in the hobby. Ken? I would just think, and I agree with what everybody said, but I think baseball is prime. They're coming off a 60 game season where there just was not a lot of rookies last year. There were, but they just didn't play a lot. I think once they get back on the field and have a full season, you could see these guys starting to develop. Tops did great with the project 2020, at least in the beginning. I know they're trying to do some stuff now, but they're really banking on the fact that a full season where we can see all these young prospects actually go out there and then really start adding to it. Just look at what happened to, to the Tatis cards. 
even though he only played a 60 game season last year. Imagine that now with 162 games. That's just Jason, your question. Yeah, I've been spending a lot of time thinking about a transparency in the hobby. We were talking about print runs before, pricing. It's a nine on a raw card review. Will it be a 10? Will it be an eight? If, if I took a 10, cracked it open, mailed it back, would it get a 10 again? I think there's a good amount of opaque in, in the hobby. I'm a believer that transparency helps engender trust and those type of things. I'd like to get folks' opinion and even yours, you know, Dr. Becky, you pioneer transparency by putting a magazine in everyone's mailbox every month to at least create some type of level setting exercise. How do you think transparency continue to be enhanced? I view this world as people don't tolerate lack of transparency. I've been thinking a lot about how technology can help build trust amongst participants and the makers of the product and, and the different people. Transparency is not a bad thing, but this hobby's been built on mystique. You don't quite know what's going on in the black box for PSA or BGS, even the Beckett price guides. They're developed. So transparency is, I don't know that's anti-competitive. It's bad. You can't have a competitive environment if we know exactly what's going on with PSA or any of these others. So transparency is not what we looked for. A mystique was okay because that creates a buzz. But to your point, we wanted a level playing field. And that's what our magazines try to do. A level playing field for dealers and collectors to have a fair exchange. It, it wasn't that it was transparent as much as it was apparent. It was there in black and white and people could read off the same sheet. Jason, I think what you're maybe asking too is how do we build trust? Transparency is good. How do you build trust? How do you build credibility? That comes with time. Dr. Beckett started a, a magazine and we ultimately all fell in love with it because the articles were awesome. The pricing was accurate. I think uh, there are times for transparency and there are times to just continue to build and trust. The reason I listen to Jeremy's podcast, Sports Cards Live, is he has great guests. He's got great knowledge. He's not afraid to share it. If it speaks to you in a certain way, you're going to keep listening, right? I think over time, what we're going to see in the next two, three, five years is going to be guys that come out rear in that not only have credibility and trust, but are like really on point out of the love of the hobby and to share and build trust. Card Ladder is one of those that are doing a great job. They're putting out great prices and they love the hobby. I know Josh and Chris have genuinely loved the hobby since the day I met them. And you know that their their intent is pure. I know Dr. Beckett, when you hired people and brought people along, you looked for character, you looked for intent, and you could tell that there might've been talented guys, but they were gone pretty quick because they just weren't aligned with your morals and your values. So I think that trust comes from aligning the morals and values and, and all of us getting on the same page as to what's important in the hobby, which is at times transparency, but is actually just having a high level of character and, and fairness, in my opinion. Okay, Mike, I think you've built trust very well by really telling it like it is and being helpful to collectors and very generously. But you may have a different question. My final question deals with disruption. Our hobby has had several periods of disruption throughout its history. And even just from the last 40 years, we had Fleer disrupting tops and bringing on Donruss and, and having the big three throughout the 80s. You disrupted by publishing publicly available price guides for people to level the playing field. Upper Deck came in 89 and disrupted by upping the quality of card that we were dealing with. Exclusive licenses then followed on and I would say disrupted and led to some of what we're seeing today. What is the disruption that you think we will see next that will usher in a major impact to the hobby going forward? I, I studied a lot of the disruptive stuff with Clayton Christensen, read his book, been to class with him. And most technological disruptions are from the bottom. They're not from the top. They're this competitor sneaking into the underserved or the, or the non-served customer and providing a, a cheaper product that doesn't look as good, but then catches on and gradually gets better. 
The disruption that's happening now is the disruption from the top. I'm a fan of the fractionals, but it's exacerbated by that. These uh, fractionals are able to pay world record prices, and that actually is positive for their business. As long as they can sell out their shares, you're going to a piece of something that is a world record price, but there's a lot of bragging rights of owning a piece of that. So I think that's a disruption, and I think it's here to stay. And every one of the fractional offerings has sold out pretty quickly, in spite of the fact that some of them are pretty pricey. I'm hoping that's all legitimate, that they're not saying it's sold out when it's not, but that's a disruption from the top. It's going to have to happen that they're going to have an offering that doesn't sell out, or they're going to have a secondary trading that then starts going below. Right now, they're riding so high. My slogan for my company was get rich slow. So it's one magazine at a time, but what's happening in the hobby now, it's get rich quick. It's buying something last month and selling it for double this month. And you can't do that for very long, really. Doubling and doubling is, you know, pretty soon you run out of money. Look, some of those fractionals are SEC regulated. They got the like proper regulators in there. And I live that life every day. If, if there's funny business in there, these people are done toasts. You know, it be funny business, but there's a marketing aspect to it, Jason. That I, you know, I, for sure. They're, they're, I get the stuff and it's very well put together. But that's a disruption. Nobody thought about doing that a year and a half ago. Now, a lot of people are, are participating in that. What amplification do you think COVID's had to all this? COVID made people realize that sports card collecting slash investing is way more fun, more lucrative, less risky than sports gambling, than daily fantasy sports. Would you want to buy a lottery ticket or would you rather buy a pack of cards? Lottery ticket, you, you lose, you tear it up and throw it away. You buy some cards, you lose. They're worth a little bit less than what you paid, perhaps, but then maybe maybe a year from now, they're worth twice as much. I would say we've maybe seen the most disruptions with the hobby in the last just five years. Gary V, Adam Lefko are getting into it. You had COVID, you had the last dance, you had some of these things that you know, people being stuck at home has just, all this perfect storm has led to this. We're going to see fractional and, and what happened in the sneaker world. You've seen some sneaker shops get into cards. Uh, you're going to see different innovation, different apps, different things, pricing tools. We're going to see some interesting entrepreneurs come in. We have pro athletes, guys, we're starting to see it, but I think you're going to get a few guys that are just huge names that have come in and just create all kinds of chaos. It's the most fun time of the hobby I've ever seen in my life. Jordan, you live this world, but the athletes getting in on it themselves is an amazing disruption. It's in the surface. And when Giannis posts an Instagram story, his collection, yeah, he gets a slap on the wrist from Panini, but guess what? That was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Unbelievable stuff. <laughs>